You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Andrew Toms grew up in rural upstate New York. After studying environmental sciences, he worked for 10 years in Latin America as an environmental specialist in international development projects. Most of his projects focused on the interface between sustainable use of natural resources and the conservation of tropical biodiversity. One of his favorite jobs was developing and integrating new techniques for cultivating coffee in an environmentally sustainable way on a Guatemalan coffee farm that he managed. This explains a lot about his approach to working with the Forest Service locals and tribes in and around the Tongass National Forest. Today I spoke with Andrew about the threats and challenges facing Tongass National Forest, how his organization is helping, and how you can too. Uh, the Sika Conservation Society has been in existence since 1967. Uh, we're located in southeast Alaska on the Alaska Panhandle, and most of the southeast Alaska Panhandle is is parts of the Tongass National Forest. Tongass National Forest is 17 million acre forest. I think it's about 16.8 million acres total. And it's the largest national forest in the country. It's a temperate rainforest and it's one of the largest remaining intact temperate rainforests in the world. My organization was formed in 1967 as a response to a lot of clear cut industrial logging for pulp that was being done under 50 year contracts that was signed with a Japanese corporation after World War II. And those contracts allowed that company to clear cut virtually any part of the forest that they wanted. Uh, they were doing huge clear cuts from the streams up to the tops of the ridges. And the organization that, that I'm the director of formed when a group of teachers and community members saw areas that they loved and hunted in and, and were catching fish in. When they saw those areas get clear cut, they said, we need to keep an area that's not logged so people have an idea of what this place was like before logging. They were inspired by the Wilderness Act that had been passed in 1964 and wrote their own citizen's proposal of a wilderness area. And that uh, became the kind of central goal of the organization. And they worked for the next 13 years to advocate to Congress members and to the Forest Service and to the congressional delegation to create a wilderness area that preserved an area of the forest where logging didn't take place. That was a temperate rainforest in its natural state as intact habitat and a place where, where they could continue doing the things that they, you know, love to do and the things that they, the ways they use and depended on the forest and, and the natural environment. And they were successful and that became a wilderness area in 1980 as part of the uh, Alaska uh, National Interest Lands and Conservation Act, ANILCA. Since then, the organization has worked to uh, control the pollution that was put out into the waters of the North Pacific Ocean and the Sitka Sound by the pulp mills and fought to protect more forests and to reform forest service logging and land management practices. For the last 13 years, I've been director of the Sitka Conservation Society and and we're, we're trying to protect the remaining habitat on the Tongass. 
Uh, we're trying to protect old growth forests, and we're trying to help the Forest Service develop a management paradigm that represents a more sustainable approach to managing temperate rainforests and taking care of Tongass National Forest. What percentage of the Tongass is uh, old growth? So the Tongass is a 17 million acre forest, national forest, but it's not all forest. Uh, the the biggest part of the Tongass is ice fields. It's got huge glaciers and huge ice fields that straddle the Canada-Alaska border. It's got a lot of wetlands, muskeg wetlands, peat bogs, uh, estuaries along, along the shore and in the coast, a lot of lake acres on the Tongass, and then the actual forested areas and the productive old growth forest is a very small percentage of the Tongass. And of that total, of that small total, a million acres of the Tongass have been clear cut logged. The, the, the actual productive, you know, the, the Tongass is, is a constellation of places that are biologically rich and, and super important areas. You know, you can go out and uh, be out on the Tongass and, and cover a lot of ground of, of forest or wet or wetlands or muskeg that are really nice places, but they're not the ecological hotspots. The ecological hotspots tend to be focused along the salmon streams, in valley bottoms, in places where the saltwater and the estuaries and the freshwater come together, or specific lakes that have sockeye salmon runs, or the right sort of soil types or underlying bedrock that make it ecologically productive. Uh, you know, places like the ice fields or the nunataks and the mountains are spectacular scenery and beautiful but they don't support a lot of wildlife. The places where the wildlife is on the Tonga tends to be the productive old growth forest. So what are the current pressures? What are the things that you guys are, have been always dealing with with the Forest Service, but also um, any of the, the current things that we should know about, especially that people who are listening might be able to help you guys with? So on the Tongass, the Forest Service is still clear-cutting old growth forests. This is the last national forest in the country where old growth trees are still being cut down. And the timber industry really wants to go after these old growth trees because within these stands of trees, you have uh, timber and wood products that are very rare and sought after. The focus of the industry right now is the red cedar and Sitka spruce wood that has very tight grain and vertical grain that's clear without any knots. And those are trees that you only get in old growth stands. Unfortunately, an old growth stand, as, as any ecologist knows, is, is a ecological system that's characterized by standing dead trees, fallen trees, standing dead snags, and trees coming up through canopy openings. And so within an old growth stand, you'll have a couple trees that are the old sentinels, the ancient beings of those stands that have that perfect wood characteristics. And those are the trees that are the survivors that had just the right mix of conditions so that they grew tall and weren't attacked by disease or struck by lightning or had rocks fall down the mountain and hit them. Those are the trees that the timber industry wants. Actually, right now, there's only, you know, in the timber sales that the Forest Service is putting together, there's usually only one or two of those trees per acre. And so the rest of that stand is getting cut down and the rest of those trees have a lot of defects or 
flaws in them and those trees are being left by the, the timber sector to just rot on the ground or they're being sold at a loss or in even some of the stands in some of the timber sales those trees are being ground up and used to make roads so we're seeing a lot of high grading of the best of the best of the forest that are the trees that make money that are being cut down and used for uh fencing material in suburbia patio furniture the Sitka spruce trees are used for music wood to make pianos or guitars. And so we're really pillaging this forest and going after these old old growth stands of trees for a real small percentage of the trees that are there and just looking for the, the highest and best materials. So it, it's a liquidation of these resources and um, it's causing a lot of ecological destruction. After 60 years of logging that have taken place on the Tongass, industrial scale logging, the stands that are left that haven't been logged are the, the most ecologically important areas where the, the wildlife and the ecological function of the forest is really concentrated and depends on to keep the ecosystem intact. It, it almost sounds to me like reports you'd hear from people protecting some of the last species in Africa, like rhinos, and but you really feel like a front lines type of organization. Yeah, I, I wouldn't at all put ourselves and say we're on the front lines because the uh, the tribal communities here in Southeast Alaska are the ones that are really on the front lines. You know, the, the, the small Clinket and Haida communities that are within the Tongass are the ones that have really been taken advantage of by this logging practices and Tongass management. You have uh, communities like Cake, Alaska, and the Organized Village of Cake, which is the, the Clinket tribe of Cake. And uh, those folks have had all of their traditional homelands and the places that they use to hunt deer and moose and fish for salmon and uh, gather uh, foods and, and, and wood products from those areas. Those have all been clear-cut logged around those communities, and they've really had you know the, the place that they depend on really pillaged and, 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 and just taken away from them. And uh, Cake, Heidelberg, Kassan, communities like that have, have really been the victims and they're the ones that are on the front lines. You know, our, our community here, Sitka that I'm in, uh, we have had a lot of pulp mill logging and there's a legacy of scars on the landscape and we're working hard to restore those landscapes right now. We're doing salmon habitat restoration and wildlife habitat restoration and working with our local Sitka tribe of Alaska, which is a, a, a Clinket people, of the, and uh, they've, they've been working on habitat restorations and fisheries management and protecting our herring fishery. But it's really, you know, those people in some of those smaller communities that are definitely on the front lines and feeling the effects of that. And the tribes have been engaging with the Forest Service as cooperating partners on some timber projects and roadless rule deliberations and really have been ignored by the agency. And it's uh, our congressional delegation and the Old Boy Timber Network that is getting all the intention, unfortunately. And they're the ones who are really suffering. Do you feel like the attitude on the other side, the old boys, the timber guys, is that we're going to get every bit of this stuff that we want it's so valuable to us. We're being very greedy, all that. We are, we are just going to wait it out. I mean, do they feel like they're not going to stop until they've got every single last bit of that extremely, to them, what they would call valuable timber? Is that the feeling? Like, you're just, we're just always going to, there's never going to be um, total and complete protection of these special places? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, during the um, during the Obama administration, the Forest Service announced a, a transition. So that they were going to transition away from old growth timber harvest to uh, young growth management and a more sustainable rotational forestry. And uh, that was a long time coming. And, you know, what the timber industry has always said, we're cutting down this old growth because it's past its prime and, and uh, the young growth is going to come up and that's going to be a better wood product. And, um, you know, in all of those acres, the forest here does grow back. The problem is it grows back too fast and too thick and it's not as good of a habitat. You do need to manage it and, and do commercial thinning and pre-commercial thinning to, you know, improve the wood product and improve the habitat. And we go right in and work together with the Forest Service and figuring out that transition. We worked together with some members of the timber industry and came up with a plan of, how do you transition from this old growth focused timber management to wean off of that and get the mill set up to do a more sustainable forest practices? And we came up with a real good plan for that. You know, the, the, some of the groups involved really made compromises and changed the way that they were doing things to accommodate um, everybody's different points of views and everybody's needs. And we found ways that we could conserve the most important habitat on the Tongass while also ensuring that a timber industry was there that could both do habitat restoration, continue their milling operations, and develop a more sustainable program to wean off the old growth and get into young growth management. And uh, it's the first chance that the timber industry could get when we get a Trump administration and now a governor in Alaska who's very short-sighted and just wants to give away all our resources to corporate interests, the timber industry has backed way away from that transition and said, you know what, we're just going to keep logging old growth. That's what our businesses are focused on right now. That's where we can make the most money. And if we do that, we don't have to worry about creating new markets, developing new products, or doing the long-term forest management that's needed to do a sustainable forestry operation here in Alaska. So, uh, you know, it really feels like some of us have gone out of our way to work with the timber industry and try to put things together and they've been um, felt like they've been villains in the process and hasn't been interested in, you know, following through with the commitments that they made. I imagine that there could probably be some lawsuits and the same similar tactics that we're using all over the country to um, just keep our heads down and keep things tied up in court possibly, or in other administrative things, whatever we can possibly do center for biological diversity and those types of groups have filed countless lawsuits um, just to stave off for four years, if possible, and hopefully that's all they will have to do. <laughs> is that the kind of thing that it feels like is going on in your area as well? Just doing whatever you can to duck and cover um, as best as you can until this administration's gone and that attitude is checked. Well, for us, you know, we've we've got a long-term investment in in the Tongas here as a local organization. Our 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 membership, our commercial fishermen our guides and, and outfitters that take people out and show them the Tongass and Alaska and the forest here. Uh, they're people who live here because they depend on the, the fish and the, the wildlife and the resources here. We want the Forest Service to be an entity that manages this land and prioritizes the ways that we, the people who live here, use and depend on it. And our, our interest is in making sure the Forest Service is doing a good job on managing our public lands. You know, we see that as part of our role in our democracy of working together with our public lands agencies to find the best way to manage this land. And 
we're really worried about the agency because it seems like this administration has done nothing but tear down their morale, uh, take the plans that they made to find good solutions and good management direction and, and throw them away and even push staff out that are doing a good job and, and, and you know, not pay attention to all of the insights that experts have had, all of the feedback that they've gotten from local communities and all of the insight and expertise that tribal governments have given. So there will be litigation on the Tongass. That, that's generally something that uh, uh, national groups have been, have been doing on the Tongass. But what really scares me is that these local voices and, and the local coalitions and partners that have been working together to try to do things right and work with the agency and make the agency uh, an entity that really responds to local concerns and the best management practices that we could have, that that's going to be lost. And most of the attention is going to be on litigation and fights over things and the kind of projects that we need to have happen, like management of the forest for this amazing bounty of wild salmon that it produces here on the Tongass, or all of the people that want to come to Alaska and see the Inside Passage and see these places, or the subsistence resources that local tribes depend on. All of that work is going to be ignored and we're going to lose that because all of the agency's resources are going to be put into, you know, responding to litigation, dealing with litigation, or even worse, trying to like find old growth timber that's just not out there to keep some mills in operation that should have transitioned and moved on to a different business model long ago. I imagine you have contacts that you've developed and, and worked with and, and uh, even friendships that have developed from within the Forest Service. How You talked about the morale. Uh, the guys that you've been able to work with the most and seem the most reasonable to work with and eager to uh, do what you guys started, it looks like back in 2011 was when that agreement um, had started uh, to, to transition. Tell us a little bit more about that. What's, what's it been like for people who were on board completely with what you guys had done, everybody involved and were working on that transition. How are they, how are they holding up? There are good guys in there too, right? Oh, there's plenty of good guys in the forest service and, 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 and great women too that are, uh, you know, stepping up into leadership positions within the agency and, Plenty of them really want to do the right thing. The really difficult dynamic that we have on the Tongass right now is that the Congress member that oversees the Forest Service and also writes the checks for the Forest Service is our Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski. And uh, Senator Murkowski really um, actively engages in Forest Service management and activities. And unfortunately, it's not been that helpful for the other sectors other than timber and it's not been that helpful for a long-term vision of timber management she's been more responsive to a group of good old boys who are looking backwards and trying to recreate the timber heydays of the pulp mill era rather than look forward and do actual forestry and actual forest management according to uh you know standards and practices of modern forestry. We're really going in and just mining the forest. So when you have, you know, great staff within the agency and, and great civil culturalist and timber planners, you know, we work really close with uh, uh, some timber sale planners and have done great projects with them. 
you know, doing micro sales of local timber that's selectively harvested and used for local projects. This summer, we just built two cabin decks and, and used cedar, which is a really difficult tree to um, find a way to do sustainably. And, and we put together some sales that we feel really good about that they're done right. And we use that wood. Those staff are doing everything that they can to make the agency be a model of how things should be done and how things are done sustainably. But then you have Senator Murkowski's oversight of the agency, pushing them in directions that are far from the experts' insights and knowledge and input into what the agency does. So those staff are increasingly frustrated about not being able to do their jobs well and having political mandates that make them do a bad job, make them do things that they know is not in the long-term interest of the resource on the ground and will not result in a economic outputs over the long term to sustain the communities that live within the forest and won't be done in ways that are acceptable to the larger American public if they knew the story of what's actually happening on the ground. And the result of that is that, you know, good staff are saying, I can't work here anymore. I'm going someplace else. That's so what I was saying. A yeah. massive turnover of staff and we lose good people in leadership positions and we lose their expertise and knowledge. And then we get people that are coming in that are stepping into positions that are um, beyond their experience level or their expertise. And they try real hard, but they're drinking from a fire hose and trying to do a good job, but don't have the background experience or knowledge and then have this immense pressure to respond to these political mandates or demands or threats. And that holds up and prevents good management activities from happening. And the worst is, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole talking point is that we need to log because we need to sustain communities and provide economic opportunities. But we're not doing that. We're providing economic opportunities for one or two mills or timber operators who are, uh, connected, who have been in business and have the right political connections, that their businesses are supported to the tunes of millions of dollars, whereas a lot of the other small businesses here in Alaska, like each of the individual family-owned fishing boats or the small tourism operators that are taking people out that cumulatively have billions of dollars in economic activity between the commercial fishing and the tourism sector, they're not supported and we're missing opportunities for making investment to garner even more economic output and return from from those activities and then meanwhile the timber operations are kind of uh, uh adversely affecting those sectors are you sometimes amazed that in this day and age that that argument even still works on anybody at all that whole economic argument we're here for you we're here to give you jobs when everybody has seen i mean it seems like everybody should have had a clear indication that what happens here is companies come in and suck all of the value out and take it somewhere else into the hands of just a very few people with under the guise of giving jobs or, or making opportunities for local people. I mean, I just sometimes can't believe that that argument still works, that anybody believes it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's working up here and our congressional delegation is repeating it and uh, leaders within our region are repeating it. And it's really that they haven't invested the time or the motivation or the energy 
into developing a new paradigm and figuring out what works. The history of Alaska has been a history of boom-bust resource exploitation, and there's not been the long-term investment in figuring out what we need to get to as an economy to be sustainable. And the leaders that we have right now, especially amongst our congressional delegation, aren't making those investments. They're driving as fast as they can towards a cliff and getting as much as they can in the short term and cursing whoever comes next for a legacy of destruction and damage that somebody else will have to clean up and deal with. And the people who are going to clean that up and have to deal with that are younger generations and members of the tribal communities that are here for the long term. And it's really um, some combination of corruption, short-sightedness, uh, profit-driven motivation at the expense of everything else to the point that these leaders will curse the next generation of Alaskans and leave such a terrible legacy for them to deal with. But that's what that's what's going on here in Alaska. And that's what happens when you visit a native community and see all this land around them that's been clear cut. And it's not brought the prosperity that was promised. It's not brought the economic activity. It's made money for the people who were well connected, who set up the contracts or the road building or the uh, shipping of the trees out to foreign markets, but the people who live there that were the laborers or, or, or jumped on board with the program, they, they, they didn't share in any of that economic return. What's it going to finally take, do you feel, to, to get, I mean, a change in leadership is obvious. We, we definitely need that. And the leaders are really guiding so much of this that you could fall into the, and you'd be justified for saying that it's bulk on them. They have the airtime um, they're able to give long-winded speeches and things about how this is so great for people, even though there's been no track record of that anywhere in America um, for long-term and for all the other parties concerned. I mean, what would you want to see happen in your area finally? And, and don't be too practical about it, but what do you guys talk about when you're talking later at night and, uh, and wishing for a better, different future for the Tongas? I think it's uh, for, for, for us, it's, it's managing the Tongas for the resources that are most important, uh, the ones that are um, where we should focus our time and energy, and the ones that represent a more sustainable return from forest and land management. And here in Sitka and for most of Southeast Alaska, that's salmon. The Tongas produces more salmon than any other national forest combined. Yearly, it's a billion-dollar industry for commercial fishermen, sport fishermen who come up here. And it's even more when you count the subsistence value of the salmon for the, the people who catch that salmon. And it's their main food here in the communities of Southeast Alaska. So the Forest Service recognizing that salmon isn't just something else we have to try to minimize the damage to while we're logging, but focusing the program of work around ensuring that there's a viable and long-term salmon return and that their management can restore salmon runs that have been damaged by logging and uh, enhance the salmon runs by different activities. Salmon are the lifeblood and we want to preserve that way of life that makes Southeast Alaska and the, the Clinkett, Shinshim, and Haida communities really 
function and have made them great peoples and societies here. That's what the Forest Service needs to be focusing on here. What kinds of things could listeners be doing to support your work? The Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, is the decision maker on if the roadless rule is going to stay in place on the Tongass. Uh, right now, Trump, Trump himself as president, along with the Alaska Governor Dunleavy, have uh, proposed repealing the roadless rule on the Tongass and fully exemption the Tongass from the protections that the roadless rule gives and opening up 9 million acres of old growth forest timber harvest. So listeners can write to Secretary Purdue and tell him, you support keeping the roadless rule on the Tongass, that the Tongass is your public land, you're an owner of this national forest, and you want your voice to be heard and you want him to keep the roadless rule in place on the Tongass. That, that would be a great start. Listeners can also call their congressmen or Senate senators or Congress members and tell them to keep an eye on Tongass management and that they don't want to see millions of dollars of subsidies for building roads for timber sales that lose money for the Forest Service to be funded. Ask them to change the management paradigm and focus on the Tongass and uh, to, to modernize the agency's approach to Tongass management. It is a national forest, so decisions are made at a federal level. And so each person's Congress member has something to say in that. And uh, Congress members are in the House Natural Resources Committee or Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee are especially important. So if any listeners have uh, Congress members who are on those committees, call them, write them, tell your friends and neighbors to make their voices heard and call them also and tell them that you're concerned about the Tongass, it's your national forest, and you want things fixed up there. There's a lot of national environmental organizations that are keeping an eye on this issue, like the Alaska Wilderness League and Trout Unlimited, and uh, folks can become members of those organizations and keep an eye on what they ask their members to do to support their work on the Tongass National Forest. Andrew, I know you're a super busy guy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, we are here for you guys. So uh, you should come back anytime you feel the need uh, to update us on anything Tongass related uh, or anything else that your organization is working on. We really, really appreciate you. Great. We'll uh, get back with you when the comment period on the roadless rule opens and um, give, give your listeners and everybody more details on that development and how they can get involved and how they can help us in our work here to uh, keep old growth forest uh, standing on the Tongass National Forest in Alaska. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Be sure to visit rewilding.org to subscribe so you don't miss past and future episodes. And while you're there, please consider supporting Rewilding by making a donation or subscribing to the Rewilding Earth newsletter.